Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger, wannabe Max Bialystok, host Mackenzie Horner, and I'm joined once again by the Lady of Muskoka, the Leah Bloom to my Max Bialystok. The B. Arthur of Canada, Autumn Smith. Autumn, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, I've, I've, wow, I landed with Bloom. Thanks a lot. Hey, oh, he's a great yeah. character. He's the heart of the show. He's the heart. Okay, I'm the heart. He's, he, he's the heart. He's okay, the heart. Great. And great. We're welcoming a new guest to the podcast, the one and only, the man who gave me my start in theater as the late orphan in Oliver. Mr. Arkady Spivak, artistic producer of Talk is Free. Hello, dear. How's it going? It's going. It's going. So happy to have you here. Thank you. I guess, I guess I'm Ula in this melee. You absolutely are Ula. That's great. You're totally an Ula. You're totally That's an my Ula. one and only, you know, to think, that, to think that I would live that long as to play Ula, <laughs> wondrous never cease. So, Arcadi, for people who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, you have a fantastic story coming all the way from Russia to here. So you are like Tevya himself, leaving on a Tevka. You came to Canada, and now you're one of the most wonderful artistic producers that we have. Well, thank you. For people who don't know me, I consider them lucky. So <laughs> right away, we've purged all those uh, lucky, wonderful people. Um, <laughs> you know, Tevye, I, I guess if I couldn't get away with selling just milk, I would be the luckiest man. But there were other, <laughs> other, you know, and, and, and milk ostensibly, if I have to drive the, the metaphor, the comparison <laughs> a little further, is that it's a, it's a necessary item, particularly mm -hmm. in, you know, 120 year ago, Russia, yes. where you had milk and you had eggs and that's all you had, basically. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, so but it is still a necessary, necessary product. Mm -hmm. uh, what, I, what I decided to do for a living, which is what we all decided to do for a living, is not as, as clear as milk. And uh, mm -hmm. the biggest challenge of our lives mm -hmm. is to persuade mm -hmm. people that they actually need it every morning with their cereal. Yes, yes, uh, do. I certainly do. Well, I don't even need cereal, I don't like it, but I, <laughs> I need. I need this lovely profession. I need to live for it. I need to get up every morning. And uh, it's very stressful to produce theater, as it is very stressful to do anything in theater. But yet, mm -hmm. yet I, I, I think uh, each of us would probably not run out of fingers in our hand counting the days we did not want to come to work. You know? mm -hmm. uh, that is true. So that's, uh, that's the blessing that, that many others are deprived of. Uh, what talk is free? Uh, do you want to talk about me or talk is free or what do you want? Uh, you can do both. You can give us your, your history of, uh, of, of you coming over and then creating talk is free. Cause I mean, like your stories is one that can inspire many. Well, you see coming over was like almost 30 years ago next mm -hmm. this year. Oh my goodness. It's 30 years ago this June, next month. In fact, you got interested in theater through the backstage because my mm -hmm. mother was a single mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh even once she's married she's married to the actor in the theater company where she was working so <laughs> single mother not single mother i was backstage anyway we were kind of uh, immigrating i was 
uh, 15 from within the Iron Curtain. And it was not unlike, mentally speaking, it was not unlike shooting into outer space, going to a different planet to, mm -hmm. to live. And you basically said, anybody that you knew up until this moment, including your relatives, friends, whatever, and uh, anything that you really wanted to do with your life is now null and void. You have to start again. I work at McDonald's, the best training for everyone uh, and anyone. I think that was what I realized later was my equivalent of the Soviet army, you know? Uh, <laughs> they went to high school where ESL, English as a second language, was the biggest uh, component. There was Newtonbrook Secondary School, sort of young and skills. Yeah. Okay. So I never felt segregated. I had all of my Russian compatriot immigrant friends. And Great. We still have a small circle, although we kind of now got scattered all over the world. But mm -hmm. we Skype or whatever it is now we're doing, Zoom every, every, every two weeks, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Uh, I thought for a while, because I kind of let go of, of a theater because I felt it was in a previous life, mm -hmm. I registered to go to York, which, uh, Glendon College, which is a York campus. Yes, it is. Located separately at Baby and Lawrence. Yes, what I love the nicer campus. Hmm? The nicer campus. Well, the nicer campus, and it feels like you're in France in 1920s going to boys mm -hmm. and girls school. It's so, yeah. uh, you know, it's just so, uh, this little jewel of a place. Anyway, so I went to Glennon College, which which is where I met your first professional director, Sasha Lukacs, who was yes. a professor there. Yes. Um, and, but I went to Glennon because at some point I thought, that I was going to be a French teacher because I started learning so many second languages. You know, ah! I had like my first second language, well, it's technically <laughs> third or fourth. So, and once you learn one, it, you can might as well learn four or five afterwards. You know, right. it doesn't matter. It's kind of mm -hmm. easy. So yes. I'm thinking, I, well, since I now have to learn languages, I'm going to leverage that. I'm going to, I'm like, who did mm -hmm. I think I was to teach French <laughs> in, in, in Canada? You know, uh, I mean, I guess I could somewhere in Etobicoke or something, yeah. or, you know, but yeah. and anyway. Fortunately, there was a drama course. I yes. took it, and the rest is history. I kind of resolved yes. myself. Uh, mm -hmm. Knew pretty pretty quickly that I wanted to um, uh, run my uh, my own organization, regardless mm -hmm. of what I also wanted to do in theater, whether I wanted to act or direct or write mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to have my my uh, platform because then I could I could directly make things happen. Got a summer placement job at the Griffin Theater, which was a summer stock in Barry, which closed. It certainly was quite an impact, impactful organization. And mm -hmm. so I got a summer job there. And like all, all of our peers, I thought, okay, well, I'll work summer for a year. I'll, I'll have them, I'll make them pay to make mistakes mm -hmm. for my mistakes while I make mm -hmm. my mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll, I'll do my own thing in Toronto. Uh, a gentleman who became our chair, uh, chair of the board, in, uh, founding chair of the board, uh, Joe Anderson, uh, mm -hmm. who was getting very excited and, and who I worked with uh, as, a, as a supporter of Griffin when I was there. As a sponsor, he ran um, uh, a local newspaper, the Barry Advance, sort of a yeah. Metroland community newspaper and mm -hmm. uh, various other subsidiary ones around mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, he called me and says, well, why would you do this in Toronto? Why didn't you actually do whatever it is you want to do here? Uh, and I mm -hmm. said, well, if you promise to be chairman, we can both think about it and reconvene in a week. And we both said yes. And here's the history. And now you're, how many seasons in every now the talk is free? Well, yeah. we almost finished 18. In fact, we finished 18. The things that we couldn't do for obvious reasons right now yeah. was an add-on activity that I was going on top of my season. But yeah, there we go. That's you in a nutshell. You are a remarkable woman who's given a start to many a young 
artists that now are all over the world. Like, uh, like we've had, like, there's a whole bunch of us kids that, that, that you had in Oliver and Bye Bye Birdie who have now gone on to do all types of things, whether it's working on cruise lines, working at NBC, uh, working in and around Toronto. You also have all the other actors like uh, Ari Weinberg, who's out in Winnipeg, uh, be, be also being an artistic director, and you gave him a start in Bye Bye Birdie as well. So you've been able to pave the way for many an artist. I mean, there's a lot of great people who come through talk is Fuchelina Kennedy, who is now a big Broadway actress. She came through the doors at, like almost right out of Sheridan. So, I mean, you've been able to give the this, this start to many of us. So, so I think a lot of us have you and, and talk is free to thank for giving up, taking all those chances down all, all those years ago. So well, thank thanks. you. And it's, it's all part of a, of a bigger vision, you know. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Well, I mean, we've kind of hidden the lead on what show we're doing. Mm. But Autumn, what show are we tackling this week? Like, what are we doing? Why am I introducing this? This is my pick. I know, it's my pick, but I want uh, you to introduce it. Just like you introduced Titanic. The Producers. <laughs> Dancing Nazis, moving swastikas, pigeons doing zikiles. We got oh, the, the musical comedy that broke Broadway, basically, at the turn of the century. It broke so, it. It broke it and changed it forever. I was the one that chose this show. It definitely wasn't an autumn pick. No. Of, uh, no. Uh, I chose it because, firstly, it's one of my top five musicals. Like, it gets right up there with Lay's Miserables. Oh. And yeah, and Sweet Todd and Company and Parade. Uh, it just but, yeah fits in that that I'm it not totally fits. I'm not judging you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm judging ju you entirely. <laughs> I'm glad someone. As, since I'm your surrogate professional <laughs> mother, exactly. I have to give you a full judge duty on this one. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, so top five musical for me. So I knew it was going to be an early episode of the podcast for sure. The humor and the wit are really what make this show stick with me. Like the Mel Brooks fast, fast witted, old style Jewish humor that we've kind of lost nowadays. We don't have that type of comedy being made anymore. It's just one that I adore. Like I grew up watching Mel Brooks movies. Uh, so this was always going to be a one that, I, that was going to stick with me. I also just love that in our uh, political correctness culture we have today, this is a show I still refer back to. This is a, this was actually an inspiration for my friend and I who are currently working on a show all about political correctness was, was we both loved this musical and went, asked the big question of, can this be done today? And so we're now devising a show. So who knows, Arcadia, that may be coming up. In one of your future seasons, I'm gonna have to pitch you on it once it's been made. Don't jump to the end, Mackenzie. I'm not jumping to the end. I'm not jumping okay. to the end yet. I'm definitely not jumping to the end. 
because there's so much to say about this show. But yeah, that's kind of why I like it. It's 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 a, it's, a, it's a show that holds the mirror up to the audience and and and, 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 and says check your PC culture basically because in a show where everybody claps and cheers for tap dancing Nazis at the same time they'll walk out and totally have a different could go after somebody for somebody for, for PC culture. So it's a fascinating will weird they show connect the dots. Will they connect the dots? Can I break the argument here? Go. There wasn't an argument, but uh, (laughs) should should it have gone that way? Yes. I think the most special thing about uh, this musical Mm -hmm. is that it's actually a writing on empathy. Yes. It's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like the musical version of Dame Adna that Mm. sets out to insult God knows everyone and anyone, uh, including various uh, parts of um, the personality that Tom Brooks mm-hmm. is kind of Jewish and New York yeah. and all this stuff, and including everyone and anyone. Like there isn't, yeah. there isn't, a, 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 there isn't a reputation that is uh, that is uh, not examined, to say to put mm-hmm. it to put it um, uh, uh, you know mildly. Uh, but unlike his later work. Which is, uh, which is, uh, or unlike his later musical, uh, which is Young Frankenstein, which is blatantly yeah. just writing on his one-liners, and it's not a deep show; it's yeah. not an interesting show. It's a derivative yeah. show. There is, mm-hmm. there is nothing new about it. There is nothing. Mm-hmm. At it. Uh, the the producers is special because mm-hmm. it it it's so uh, it's so empathetic to everyone who works in theater, everyone who is connected to it which is all sorts of misfits, you know. Yeah. Uh, God no, and what it says is, we would go to no end to be part of this, including putting on a bogus show, uh, stooping old ladies for... Yeah. Uh, uh, even an accountant who comes from a mm-hmm. left field and suddenly realizes how special... Well, you know, we talked earlier on about how special our workforce is. Yeah. You know, there are people who, if asked, if encouraged, would do crazy stuff to just be, be part of it. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. matter if they're going to produce a successful show. It doesn't yeah. really matter if they're going to have success. Uh, it's not about whether Max Bialystok is a, is, a, is a successful producer at the time where we mm-hmm. find him in the show. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the thing that he feels he's no longer part of it. Yeah. And That's- to me, it's... You know, I would never play it as a tragic comedy by any means. Yes. I don't think the the, uh, tone of the show is that. But what made the show so special is the coupling of Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane because they adored Mm -hmm. each other. Yes, they did. They They adored each other. And it was all about love. It's all about... Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you love a person you are talking... Mm-hmm. You can get away with murder if you have love, if you have empathy. Yeah. If you're mm-hmm. just a bastard, A, you're never going to be funny in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I feel sorry for people without sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you are right. There is empathy, especially between the characters of Max and Leo. And that was for sure grown by the fact of the chemistry between uh, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And after they left, that's why they didn't quite have the right actors to continue on in these roles was because there was something, you're right, very unique and special about the two of them together that made 
that story about which is a really interesting story we don't see a lot of which is about male platonic friendship it's not it's not a love story it's not a it's not a romantic story but it's this it's almost like Shawshank Redemption. You cannot compare producers to Shawshank Redemption. I absolutely can. No. The two men, Red and Andy, are just like Max and Leo. The two of the the, the, the the two pairs of those two men are exactly the same situation where they both come into each other's lives and and they they find this platonic, endearing friendship that is. That 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 it, and it's a story that's rarely ever told on film or on stage because nobody knows how to tell those stories, which are about these two male people finding each other and making making each other better. So, Barcaddy, I is there anything else you want to say about why you chose this musical to be your first guest appearance? I just I love how much the show gets away with. Yes. All right. So for anybody who doesn't know what the heck the producers is, who has never seen the film, has never, hasn't watched the, the original film, the musical film, or seen the stage show, or done, or listened to the album. I mean, this show, so it's set in 1959 New York, it follows the, mu- the, it follows the musical schemings of theater producer Max Bialystok and his new partner and former accountant, Leopold Bloom. And they set out to make the biggest flop in Broadway history to help kind of pay off the debts of Max's previous show, Funny Boy, as well as they want to get rich and, and escape to Rio. So what they decide to do is they're gonna is, is they're gonna fraudulently oversell the interest of this show that turns out to be the worst show they've ever found, which is Springtime for Hitler, a gay romp with Adolf and Ava at Berkdishgarden. That is the full title of, of, of the show they find, shortened to Springtime for Hitler by everybody else. Uh, so Leo, so Max's scheme that he comes up with is step one, we find the worst play ever written. Step two, we hire the worst director in town. Step three, they're going to raise $2 million, one for Max, one for Leo. And they're going to do that by shipping all the little ladies in New York. Uh, then they're going to hire the worst actors in New York and then open on Broadway. And then before... Uh, and then before the first performance, they're going to close the show and take their $2 million and escape to Rio. So that was their plan. So they set off to make this happen. Uh, they, they find the play. They get, they get Franz Liebkin, the playwright, to sign off on it. They hire the worst director in town, Roger Dupree, and his production team to helm the show. They then uh, cast Franz Liebkin as Adolf Hitler after he gives a rousing performance of Haben Sie gehört das Deutsche Band? Uh, and then on opening night, in classic, one of the great one-liners of the musical uh, situation where Franz is late for the curtain, he runs backstage and he trips and he falls and he breaks his leg, literally, which then results in uh, Max convincing the director, Roger Debris, uh, to take on the title role of Adolf Hitler. Like the worst thing that could happen to a director. Right the yes. worst yes and of course the whole sequence is fantastic i mean you have everybody show break a leg he runs off stage bang boom crash cat uh, cat meow and then it's the Franz, what happened i broke my leg <laughs> and I've, I've watched clips of this where and the it brings the audience down every time that that is one spot of the show where everybody will laugh because it is just too funny i don't think there's a point in this show where people don't laugh 
Yeah, well, that last thing about, well, we'll, we'll get into that because they worked really hard on making sure this was a continual yeah. laugh, like a, a laugh track show where you just were laughing so hard at one joke, you'd miss the other joke. So anyway, so, so Roger goes out on stage, he plays Adolf Hitler, but he plays him, make, making him overly flamboyant, let's say, <laughs> like making him a bumbling fool, which audiences all fall in love with, making the show a surprise smash. Uh, this results in Franz trying to kill um, everybody for making a fool out of Hitler. It also results in uh, Leo and Max um, panicking because now they're going to have the IRS on their tail. Um, they then have the police burst into the office. Uh, Franz is arrested. Max is arrested with two books. One says, show to the IRS. The other is labeled, never show to the IRS. So... Both of them are, are let off to prison, and Leo, because uh, he's hiding very well, escapes the police. And he escapes to Rio with the $2 million, and their Swedish secretary slash receptionist, Ula Inga Hansen Benson Jalantalens Fallen Swanson. And that's just her first name. Come on, serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, at the trial, Max is found in incredibly guilty. Uh, just as he's about to be sentenced, in comes Leo and Ula. They return, and uh, Leo tells the judge all the, the good things Max does in the world and why he shouldn't be in prison. It's a very heartfelt moment, so the judge decides he's not going to separate the parties, but send them both and Franz to Sing Sing Prison for five years. Uh, in prison, they write a new musical called Prisoners of Love, and because it's such a huge success, the governor uh, says, through having through song and dance, you have brought joy and laughter to uh, joy and laughter into the hearts of every murderer, rapist, and sex maniac in Sing Sing Prison. Ergo, you're pardoned and you're free. And so they take the show to Broadway, uh, where now Roger and Ula star and Leo and Max uh, become the kings of Broadway and walk into the sunset. And that's the show. It's it's this nonstop laugh like the comedic train. And, you know, listening to your synopsis, it, it reminded me of why the show, the second reason why the show is so special. And that is, uh, at the beginning of the work, he is an outright criminal, cooking books, getting yes. false, da, da, da. I guess out of, out of necessity to threat. Mm -hmm. At the end of the show, he gets rewarded and praised Mm -hmm. And it's no longer an activity. It's it's a social transformation of some sort. Yeah. And you kind of go, that's exactly what happens in our profession, but what gives? Perfect. Okay. So, Autumn, this is actually a nice short production team list. There's not a lot of people involved on the production side. Uh, but who do we have? Because once again, we have a new team. Well, do we? Not completely. So this piece uh, was the brainchild of one Mel Brooks. Uh, born Melvin Kaminsky uh, in 1926, mm -hmm. an American director, writer, actor, comedian, mm -hmm. producer, and composer. Um, he, I mean, if you don't know Mel Brooks, please just go watch a Mel Brooks film. Like mm -hmm. that's, you will have fun, stupid fun, but you will have fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. There, the, you just laugh. You just laugh. And mm -hmm. he's known um for creating uh broad film farces and mm -hmm. comedic 
parodies. That is yes. what he does. And um, he started as a comic writer for Sid Caesar's variety show, uh, your show of shows, working alongside some very unfamous people like Woody Allen, Neil Simon, and Larry Kelbart. Um, Carl Reiner. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Carl Reiner and mm -hmm. Mel Brooks created the comic character, The 2,000-Year-Old Man. Yes. Uh, uh, and he wrote with Buck Henry the hit television comedy series, Get Smart. Which yes. Is one of, I love, as a kid, I was addicted to that show. Mm -hmm. the re they were in reruns at that time. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it ran from 65 to 70. I was well, a I'm a little bit younger than that. Um, yeah. And then he became a wildly successful film director um being one of the top 10 money makers of the year the films were released okay. uh the producers uh blazing saddles young frankenstein history of the world part one space called robin hood men in tights yes um and you know some of them have been made into musicals like the producer sure. and young frankenstein which was we'll true at some point as we will um he was married to anne bancroft mm -hmm. until her death in 2005 and yep. now he's like doing online cool things with his son amazing yeah absolutely do you have autumn do you have a favorite mel brooks movie <sighs> no i I have not been able to get through them in their entirety. Like there's, it's like dumb and dumber for me at some point. I'm just kind of like, I can't, I can't anymore, but I love humor. I love, I love mm -hmm. it. There's just so much stupid humor. It's like, I can watch South Park one episode at a time. I'm like, okay, that's yeah. good for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I might have to go back and look at them again. Like I'll do a monologue. show them to Reed. Reed will love them. He would. He'd really like Blazing Saddles, I think, and the the fire and the 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 gas. Yes. That. Yes. Yes. Arcady, do you have a favorite Mel Brooks movie? You know, I kind of want to say the producers, but I'm in love with Frau Blucher. So I don't yes. know what to do. If she, if only she could immigrate into producers <laughs> there would have been a happier man mm -hmm. uh but there isn't like a part big enough for her like i think she can't really come in and invest in, in into, yeah into the shows or yes she's the wrong type for ula and she, yeah th there's no there's no uh but i did almost do that once uh young frankenstein no um <laughs> and i i, I don't want to I'll come back to it when, when, okay. when we go through our questions, I guess. Okay, perfect. Fantastic. And I'll say, I think my favorite Mel Brooks movie is one that's not talked about a lot, but it is the Anne Bancroft Mel Brooks movie, To Be or Not To Be, which is set at the start of World War II and it's all about a Jewish theater troupe. Oh. And Mel Brooks plays an actor uh, who's, who, who, whose big moment every time is he has to perform To Be or Not To Be, but he's a terrible, schmackty, actor and it, it stars him and Anne Bancroft together and it's it's it also has the actor who plays Sergeant Schultz in Hogan's Heroes he comes on and plays another Nazi 
and it, it's just outright hilarity. It's it's one of my favorites. Oh, but I will say Robin. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It's a really good one. And then yeah. Robin and Men in Tights. What was the other one that I will say was one that I grew up with? And we'll get into that one more because that is one of my all-time faves. But yes, there we go. So Mel Brooks. That's Mel. That's Mel. That's our yes. friend Mel. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, our book by Thomas Mahan, who yes. um, worked with- We Brooks. talked about, yeah. Of course, he's, you know, we, we've talked about him, but he's known for Annie, mm-hmm. that beautiful show. Indeed. Uh, producers. Yes. Hairspray. Yes. Young Frankenstein and yep. uh, Crybaby. Don't uh, know that last one. Um, I, it's based on the film with Johnny Depp. No, oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, he co-wrote the books for Elf the Musical and yeah, okay, Light the Story of Charlie Chaplin. Just oh, there you go. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, hmm. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention these two people uh, because they mm-hmm. did the musical arrangements. Basically, mm-hmm. I think Mel Brooks has a has a thing with his uh, arrangers where he hums the tune and they write them down, kind of like yeah, makes sense. Yeah, kind of like what Charlie Chaplin used to do. Uh, a good yes. friend of mine who is now departed used to do write all of the the musical arrangements for Charlie Chaplin. So mm-hmm. I think these two guys uh, did something similar. Uh, Glenn mm-hmm. Kelly and Doug Besterman are his musical arrangers. So I think it's important to mention them. Um, yes. And this is an interesting show because it had two directors. It did until one of them, Sally, passed away, which we will yeah. talk about. Mm-hmm. Which but we're going to chat about. So We um, are going to chat about. The the first director was Mike Okrent. Um mm-hmm partner of uh, Susan Stroman, who was the choreographer. Yes. Yes. Um, and he was a British stage director uh, known for Broadway musicals and smaller smaller plays as well. He did. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he worked on Crazy For You. Uh, yeah. And uh, he, uh, in 86, 1986, he made a successful transition to New York with Me and My Girl. And mm. I'll have to, t- I, it's one of my, I love that musical. Um, I'd love to do that musical. It's just ugh, so good. It's London again. Mm. Um, yeah. And then he, he did a lot of work in film and TV until he died of leukemia uh, in yeah. 1999. And yeah. at that point, Strowman, who was choreographing the producers, also took over the direction of it. Um, yep. And we have, have we talked about her? I feel like we no, have. We have no, we haven't. No, we have not. Huh. No. No, we've talked nope. about her. I'm getting. Yeah. Another, another female director who's very similar in the name who directed Secret Garden. Correct. Susan H. Shulman. But this is Susan Strowman. Strowman. Yeah, very confusing. Uh, an American theater director, choreographer, a film director, performer, known for producers, Crazy for You, Contact, The Scottsboro Boys. Um, she's a five-time uh, Tony Award winner and there you go. Um, a recipient of two uh, Olivier Awards. 
Uh, and in uh, 2014, she was an inductee in the American Theater Hall of Fame. So she as, is, as she should be. Yeah, she's a director of choreography. Like her choreography is amazing. The things that anybody who can create a tap dance with walkers anyone, deserves to be in a Hall of Fame. Humans into like stand up bass in the dance number in crazy. Yeah. Group. Like yeah. you're you're great. She's great. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. it. That that's where Fantastic. I Sure. Perfect. And I and I'm gonna pick up from there. Because we're gonna segue into production history. So this all started with uh, theater impresario David Geffen, as he was the one that persuaded Mel Brooks to turn this film into a musical. Uh, so uh, Brooks originally wasn't fully uh, sold on the idea and thought he needed a partner. So he went to Jerry Herman who we will talk about when we get to name, Herman declined. He said, you can do the work yourself. You don't need me. I, 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 if, you, if you wrote songs for all your movies, like Mel Brooks has a lot of musical numbers in his yeah. films. Like if you go watch Blazing Saddles, there's the whole Busby Berkeley dance scene at the end. Throw out your hands, take out your push, hands on your hips, give them a push. You'll be surprised you're doing the French mistake. Voila! Same thing with Men in Tights. We're men, we're men in tights. We roam around the forest looking for fights. We're men, we're men in tights. We run from the rich and give to the poor, that's right. We may look like sissies, but what would you say or else we'll put out your lights? We're men, we're men in tights. Always on guard, defending the people's rights. And, like, and same thing with the original Springtime for Hitler um, producer's film. So he's like, you got this. You're good. So Brooks then turned to Thomas Meehan uh, to have him help him write the book uh, for, for the show. So did that. And then he persuaded Mike, how do you say his last name? O'Kark? Ockrent. Ockrent. So, so he then persuaded Mike Ockrent and his wife, Susan Stroman, to join the team, and they were going to do it together until, sadly, Ockrent died in 1999. As we said, of leukemia, so Stroman took on the full duties of director and choreographer. Uh, auditions began in August 2000, and rehearsals began in December 2000. Uh, and the first week of rehearsals, Stroman dedicated to just ensemble work and dance rehearsals. She wanted to stage all the big dances of the show, first so that then she could just focus on the scene work for the lot for the next few weeks of rehearsal they must have been exhausted reading re, I, I, I was reading a book uh all about all, all about the making of the producers called my one year with the producers where one of the ensemble members wrote an entire chronological diary of, oh of his experiences of this and he said yeah like, yeah at the end of the first week he was exhausted but also really invigorated because by the end of the week they had staged the Act One finale, the the Bialystok tap, uh, Walker tap dance. They had done the opening King of Broadway as well as uh, Springtime. Those were the three big numbers that Stroman had to get done. So uh, the cast, when it was originally started, was Nathan Lane as, as Max Bialystok, Matthew Broderick as Leopold Bloom, Caddy Huffman as Ula, uh, Holland Benson, Yellen Stalin, Holland Stalin, Swanson. Uh, Gary Beach, the late wonderful Gary Beach as Roger DeGrees, Roger Bart as Carmen, as Carmen Dia, his common law assistant, and Ron Orbach as Franz Liefken. 
Uh, the show went through rehearsals. It all went well. They went to do out-of-town tryouts in Chicago. However, uh, Ron Orbach had hurt his knee and had to have knee surgery, so he missed the opening night and, uh, and previews for for the show. He broke in a leg. Chicago. Literally, literally. Uh, so he did come back. Uh, however, he struggled with vocal stamina. So, mm. so ultimately, when they went back to New York, they replaced him with his understudy who had been covering for him, who was the wonderful Brad Oscar. He was permanently moved up into the starring role of Franz Liebken. So from there, uh, they, the show had received good reviews out, out of town, but they were, Mel Brooks was really adamant about not going for any cheap laughs. He was bound to determine to make sure that all the laughs he got were genuine and there was no cheap shtick uh, 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 comedy. So, for example, what I'm talking about is one of the big sequences they always had troubles with was there's a tap dance challenge section in the springtime for Hitler between Hitler, Churchill, Stalin, and FDR. And the sticking point was how do we deal with FDR? Because he's in a wheelchair. So how do you do this bit? So originally... They had the actor playing uh, FDR in a wheelchair who would uh, kind of show up on stage, wave some flags, and then Hitler would just push him off stage and, and he would shout Eleanor as he careened off stage. That wasn't getting a big enough laugh. So they then tried having the actor ta uh, tap out a tap dance rhythm on his, on his wheelchair with the flags. That seemed to work, and then and then he was going to yell shit as he flew off stage. Still wasn't getting a big enough laugh. So then they tried having FDR stand up and do a tap dance, only to fall back in the chair and get pushed off stage. That didn't work because audiences didn't like seeing FDR depicted that way. So then they thought, oh, well, let's try shoving the wheelchair backwards. So that didn't work. So they're like, okay, let's try upping the speed of the wheelchair exit. That proved to be way too dangerous and didn't work. So then Strowman decided to try swapping out FDR for Uncle Sam and having an overly large top half for Uncle Sam that then the actor could dap dance and then Hitler would just come and bonk him on the head and knock the hot top hat down over his face and then he would have to stagger off. However, audiences weren't getting weren't getting it because they were expecting FDR because in the rule of comedy it's a rule of three so FDR being the last one and you don't have the right person in there instead you have Uncle Sam so they cut Uncle Sam they kept the top hat shtick and brought back FDR however that still didn't work and so Strowman ultimately just said let's just keep it simple stupids and we're gonna just have him show up he's gonna wave the flags do a little tap dance and then Hitler's just gonna push him off stage no no, no, um, no exclamatories as he exits, just in and out. So that ultimately was that saga of that whole section. But that shows how even though they were getting laughs, they weren't being complacent with them. They were continually refining and refining and refining this comedy. And that's what Mel Brooks is. His brain is all about that it's refined so cheap, comedy. Though. It's still cheap tricks. It is a cheap it's trick, but they refined it. It's still cheap. They're <laughs> cheap. It's 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 cheap, but that's what makes it awesome in a way. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's no, no, no. But they're cheap, but they're satirically so. Mm -hmm. They weren't just cheap, cheap, and pretend that it's actually profound comedy. 
no, 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 no. It, it, it knows exactly the level. It satirizes the level. It, it takes a really smart person to say a stupid thing. It doesn't necessarily say mean what they're saying is stupid. It means yeah. they're taking advantage. That he's actually taking advantage in the best possible way of chips. Like he reinvents almost. He almost yeah. reinvents. He, yeah. he does, but they are they are like they are meant to like they're cheap. Yes. Well, especially but during that, that sequence of the show. Like cheap yeah. people is smart. It's like yes, my wit is also smart, just for British people. Mm-hmm. You yes. know what I mean? Like it's a it's a it's very culturally specific, Mel Brooks mm-hmm. and and that kind of yeah. work, right? It's very mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it has its it it resonates from from things like in the Catskills and the Borscht Belt, right? Well, that's exactly and yeah. Which is great. Speaking of the cat skills, Mel Brooks was actually almost a professional drummer because he has incredibly good rhythm, which is why his comedy is so good because he understands the rhythm of a comedic scene. Uh, but either way, so they fix FDR's scene. However, when they got to New York, one of the other issues they had was the time of the intermission. Because unlike most shows where there's a lot of projections and like minimal set, this was a lot of set for the show. You have two offices for Max's office, one all painted white, one regular color. You have Roger Dupree's overly grand house with a giant staircase. You also have the entire springtime for Hitler set and the accounting firm set. So a lot of sets to manhandle and move around. So the original, uh, uh, intermission when they did their invited dress run was 45 minutes and yeah because they had to move all the sets they tried to get the one set out put the other set away uh and so the producers decided to hire an extra production hand and so the final dress uh intermission was 27 minutes and at the first preview they cut it down to 20 which is where it stayed throughout the rest of the run wow yeah the production itself opened at the saint james theater on April 19th, 2001, with the cast now being Nathan Lane as Max, Max uh, um, Matthew Broderick as Leo, Gary Beach as Roger, uh, Roger Bart as Carmen Dia, Caddy Huffman as Ula, and Brad Oster as Franz. And so the, uh, after opening night, the producers broke the record for the largest single day box office ticket sale in theater history, where it took in more than $3 million in one day. So huge. Uh, the original production it's, uh, went on to receive 15 Tony nominations, beating the previous record holder, which was Company. Uh, the nominations for the Best Director, Best Book, and Best Score, Best Actor for both Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, Best Featured Actor for Gary Beach, Roger Bart, and Brad Oscar, Best Featured Actress for Caddy Huffman, Best Director, Best Choreography for Susan Stroman, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Lighting Design. Uh, out of those 15 awards, the producers won 12, making it the most wins in history, becoming one of the first few musicals to win in every category it had been nominated for. Uh, with the wins, producers broke the record that was held for 37 years by Hello, Dolly, which had won 10 and 10. And so it still hasn't been beaten. Uh, its, its nomination record was tied in 2009 by Billy Elliot and was broken in 2016 by Hamilton, which received 16 nominations. However, uh, it still holds the record for most 
uh, Tony wins with Hamilton right behind it at 11 wins. So still holding the record. Uh, there was a documentary made about making the cast album. The documentary is called Recording the Producers, A Musical Romp with Mel Brooks, which was released to critical success and was sold in the box office, uh, of course. Uh, and then this, um, this show, it was affected by 9-11 because 9-11 occurred that fall in September, as we all know. On the Tuesday, uh, it, it, the production uh, closed itself down on Tuesday and Wednesday and reopened with the rest of Broadway on Thursday night. Uh, several changes were made to the production, uh, including uh, removing the bomb and gunfire sound effects from Screen Time for Hitler for the first week of the uh, post-attack era uh, that we are now in. And then also, instead of saying the goodbye song at the curtain call, the whole cast sang God Bless America. And it was actually, and the cast was actually featured for one of their curtain calls on CNN in their nightly coverage uh, following the attacks. The departure of Lane and Broderick from the show uh, was, a was, was not good for the production. It saw a steep drop in ticket sales, resulting in Lane and Broderick being brought back for a limited return from December 2003 to April 2004. Uh, and once again, when they came back, uh, it broke record sales again, earning $3.5 million in a single day for ticket sales. The show did close eventually on April 22nd, 2007, after it played a total of 2,502 performances, where now it ranks as the 27th longest running Broadway show. Uh, other notable Max Bialystocks include Brad Oscar, Roger Bart, Richard Kind, Tony Dance, Stephen Weber, and Alan Ruck, uh, who is now starring on the hit HBO show, Succession. So there you go. So quite a few big names and quite a few original cast members who uh, eventually worked their way up to being Max Bialystok. Uh, the other cool, interesting story we have here is that Producers was also hit in the West End, playing a total of 920 performances from November 9th, 2004 to January uh, 6th, 2007. However, in true producer's fashion, the hiccup for this production was that be, was that four days before the first preview, uh, Max Bialystok actor Richard Dreyfus was let go from the production uh, after finding he was unable to fulfill the rigorous uh, requirements of the role. Nathan Lane was brought over to replace him. Oh my God. Four days before the first preview. <laughs> Only in the producers could you have that happen. That's such a producer situation. In 2005, the, uh, the musical was turned into an, a musical film, which was directed by Stroman and starred everybody in the original cast, a Broadway cast, except for Caddy Huffman and Brad Oscar, who was unable to take on the role of Franz Liebkin because he had signed on to play Max on Broadway. So instead, they gave him a small cameo as the cab driver in We Can Do It. And so instead of Oscar and Huffman taking on the roles, it was Uma Thurman and Will Ferrell who replaced them. The film itself, mind you, they actually did very well. I was really impressed with Uma Thurman in that performance. She killed as Uma. She has actually a decent singing voice. She's great. And Will Ferrell is very funny as Franz Lucian. He kills it. But yes, yeah, so, the, so the songs, they did all the songs except for in Old Bavaria, King of Broadway, and Where Do We Go Right? Those are the only songs that were cut. However, uh, King of Broadway and Old Bavaria were included in the deleted scenes. So they were available, Stroman just cut them. 
Uh, it opened on December 16th, 2005, so movie musical Oscar bait timing. Uh, however, it received mixed reviews, with most negative reviews suggesting that the performances were too uh, more for the theater than it was for film, which I have to agree with. It is a very large, overacted uh, film, but I do love it. It is one of my top five movie musicals of all time. I think the I problem with the film was that it comes across very blatantly that they've given this performance a thousand times before. Yes, very and true. there is absolutely no element of surprise. They they, they do it as fitness fanatics who know they can run da, 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 but mm -hmm. there is it's it's derivative of themselves yes that is true that is true no one should have the cast jason alexander in the movie he would have done well and that would have shaken up the cast i don't I think love anybody, i think they sort of kind of they, they trapped themselves into their own success a little bit i think yeah, that's true. You didn't cast yeah. Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. I don't know if it, I don't know if people would have wanted yeah, to see it. But then casting them, they already they you know they really want to do something else for them. Yeah, good. exactly. Yeah. Uh, last part of production history was that on February twenty eighth, twenty sixteen, a five minute short film was made as a sequel to the producers called Trumped, which was done on Jimmy Kimmel. It starred Nathan Lane as Matthew Broderick reprising the roles of Leo and Max, and features Cloris Leachum as as uh, the little old lady. And the whole Sorry. premise is right. It totally fits. And the whole idea is that Bialystok and Blumen uh, are now political consultants and they set out to find the worst candidate in history and they're gonna scoop everybody of, of their money and, 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 and promise them ambassadorships only then to have the candidate drop out and they keep the money. However, they choose Donald Trump as their candidate and he proves to be a political phenomenon. We needed a chump to put on the stump. A frumpy, grumpy, jumpy named Donald J. Trump. He's building a wall a thousand feet tall. Don't worry, cause the Mexicans will pay for it all. From the producers of the producers comes the movie that'll make America great again. Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, and Cloris Leachman star in You've Been But it's a great, uh, it's a great funny sketch that I have to imagine has some vet, uh, bit of truth in it for some people who backed Trump when it all began, where they thought this could just be a good bit of money they could make doing this. But yeah, that's it uh, for production history. Bada bing, bada boom. Autumn, where did you first uh, get, uh, experience this musical? Like, like, what's your background on it? Uh, recent. <laughs> Uh, no, I saw, I saw a version in Peterborough, a group in okay. Peterborough did it. So that was my first time seeing it on stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know of it. I saw the yes. TV, like number. Yeah. And mm -hmm. How can you not know the show? <laughs> it's, it, it, was, it was, it was very popular. It's not, for... it's not a go-to for me. It's not a singable show for me. So it's, oh, it's not, not singable. Listen, oh. listen, blow high, blow low over there. Don't, don't <laughs> stop. Of course, okay. it's your singable show, and mm -hmm. June is busting out all over. I get you. I know. I know your kind of music now. <laughs> this is not mine. This is not my. This is yeah. not my Yeah. But, yeah. That's true. You know, I, I, I do like humor, and I, and like. 
I was watching some stuff today and I was laughing and I was like, this is stupid, but I like, I'm laughing. Damn. Is this one you will show the kids? No, I'm not showing this to the children. Never. <gasps> Maybe when they, when they find who they are in the world and can understand satire and then mm -hmm. I, I will, but Fair at enough. that moment, uh, I think it could be quite dangerous. <laughs> Fair enough. Arcadi, how did you come to this show? Well, I was obsessed with the film, and then I was obsessed with the soundtrack, with not soundtrack, the original Broadway CD recording. Then I was obsessed with the idea of the film, a remake with Matthew Bernard, not so much the film itself as it turned out eventually. Um, and then I was obsessed with the, with the, with how the show galvanized everything mm -hmm. and got away with everything from everything almost, uh, mm -hmm. that, that was important to me. Um, and then in 2010 years ago, almost, uh, it would be 10 years ago this fall, yeah. we did a production, <laughs> the yes. actors, it was a fundraiser for the Actors Fund of Canada because I play those games where I where I cast people. Sometimes this is my casting. My, casting is my favorite thing of all times. Uh, to do to do a per perfect revisionist cast with like unprecedented, like unexpected mm -hmm. sort of things, mm -hmm. and let's do the most horrible guaranteed to flop. You know, I play I play the you know I play those games, <laughs> and then I was driving <laughs> with. Uh, Richard Ozunian, no less, driving him to the show festival, Stratford Festival. And then he yes. said something that I needed to kind of uh, put in the right place. And, and I don't know how we got there, but I'm like, you know, the only thing critics really are capable of doing is appearing in the producers. <laughs> and then it all fit into place. I'm like, he is a perfect Max. Kelly Nestrick yes. is a perfect uh, Leo Bloom, like perfect Leo Bloom. And I still maintain it's kind of getting old, but I maintain, mm -hmm. no offense to him, but I maintain he, <laughs> he has to go and like play the part regionally somewhere in like Milwaukee yes. or whatever, where he doesn't review so he can, he can be free to do whatever he needs to do. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Robert Cushman, who was a National, National Post Theater critic, played mm -hmm. Franz Lipkin. Yes, he did. Uh, I had Jean Gameshi initially as Roger Debris. Ah, that would have been quite a something, but he was too busy, and I had everyone who's already committed writing in the show or writing him to play. I'm like, yes, we know you have to wear a dress. And whatever. Some of those emails is like two media moguls talking to each other. It was just amazing. Uh, <laughs> then um, we had every funding or art service organization marching in the Nazi chorus. Yes, I had celebrity asherettes. Yes. Uh, Cynthia Dale and Camilla Scott. Yes. Uh, Ula was initially going to be Jackie Richardson, you know, the, 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 the famous Canadian blues singer. Yes. Uh, but she had an operation and then it didn't work. And uh, I said, well, you know, nothing is better than Ula in the wheelchair. Like, if this concept, this is amazing. <laughs> if you've got it, want it. But she could yes. it was really unwell. So yeah. uh, Sharon Matthews came to our rescue, thankfully. Yes. And, you know, and then we had like Aubrey Dan playing the, the accountant, 
and who else did they have? Uh, a bunch of others. Oh my, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a fantastic concert. And it raised forty three thousand dollars for the actors. Wow, wow. Because yeah. it sold tickets, but I also I decided to be Max Dallas stuck with all ladies. I called every theater, not every theater, but I uh, because a theater should really be doing an actors fund fundraiser once a year, and some people mm -hmm. did not. So I phoned them up. I said, "Listen, you're giving me a five hundred dollar ad, and I'll get you off the hook." Uh, mm -hmm. And so I've sold all sorts of pledges and whatever. Because um, again, mm -hmm. first of all, those people were. Uh, you know, critics are misunderstood, misconstrued, you know, mm -hmm. they were humanized for that. Yeah. And more importantly, the, for that night and night only, everyone came together to love each other, remind ourselves, re regardless mm -hmm. of where we, where we, where we stand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Professionally, personally, that mm -hmm. what we are doing it in the name of, and then go back to hating each other the next morning. And that's totally fine. And, yeah. and, and I think the producers is a community. And so that mm -hmm. sort of, you know, it kind of became a matter yeah, you know? it, it, it was wonderful. Did you it see it, Mackenzie? What were you doing there? I what did. did. What did I make you do for that one? I, I was an audience member. I brought a date that night. One of my first ever dates I, I, I ever had was, was taking her to see a producer because she was a big fan of the show. Well, obviously it worked well. Yeah, it, it worked um, well. <laughs> so, and one of, one of the critics, I think it might have been Richard, sent a note to Charles Isherwood mm -hmm. in New York and New York Times did a little like mention, two-line mention and, and wow. say, well, if this is what Canadian theater critics are doing, then Ben Brantley and I will do Wicked. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm now reinventing Broadway with that shenanigan. I was, I was so proud of myself. I'm not gonna That's lie. wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So my, 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 my history of the show is actually really short. Uh, I came to the show once again, Friday night movies. I rented it. And my mom and my dad and I all sat down to watch it. My mom didn't know what the heck we were going to watch. She lasted not two minutes. Basically, she got through the opening overture and the, and the, and the title comes up in, in, in lights and she left to go do laundry and never came back. My dad and I stayed and we watched the whole film together. Peed ourselves laughing. It was fantastic. Um, and then, of course, I had to go out and buy the CD, which I played copiously to the point where my mother actually hid the CD because she hated it so much. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then of course I saw the wonderful concert version that Arcadi put on, and that is kind of it. Oh, and then, and then I did perform Betrayed as my final grade 12 concert choir performance. I ended the show with that. I got to be the closing act of the night, uh, for the solos, and I got to do the performance of Betrayed. Slightly abridged as, as unfortunately doing certain moments of the show were not appropriate for a high school apparently doing a springtime for hitting the march was not was not done so we had to abbreviate that moment but overall it was the song four minutes uh, of, of pure glory it was wonderful you were censored i was censored yes i was censored but it still worked it brought the house down it was wonderful and that's kind of it okay Let's see here. So now let's see how many of our top three songs match each other. Uh, our caddy, what is your first song? Uh, the, are we talking about the ones that we think should be cut or what are we talking about? 
the fir- the positives first. We need the positives first. So the as positive. long as you like. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, so betrayed is definitely one of them. Betrayed. Oh boy, I'm so betrayed. Like Samson and Delilah, your love began to fade. I'm crying in the hooskow, you're in Rio getting laid. Betrayed. Let's face it, I'm betrayed. Boy. I should have seen what came to pass. I should have known to watch my ass. I feel like Othello. Everything is lost. Leo is Iago. Max is double-crossed. I'm so dismayed. Did I mention I'm betrayed? Because... Perfect. Uh, simply because it's it's a playlet in and of itself. Yes. And, and, and it also shows, uh, you know, that it kind of brings a different dimension to mm-hmm. Max. Yeah, uh, and it is satirical. Of course, it's not suddenly Mama, Mama's uh, Rose's turn or whatever. You know, it's, uh, so it satirizes, but at the same time, yeah. it works on multiple levels. So I really like that. Yes. Yeah. I like keep it. Oh, one second. One second. One at a time. One at a time. We, we do. We go one, we go oh one yes, by one thank with you. The songs. Okay. Yeah. So yes, Betrayed was also on my list. Autumn, did it make your list? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well. Well, it made my list as well because, Arcadia, you're absolutely right. It, 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 it's a moment that is a tour de force for, for any actor to perform. It is the male version of Rose's turn, for sure, where it is, it's six minutes of, this, of an actor really breaking down on stage, performing the entire show again, including the intermission for the audience. And Mel Brooks is there, which are so witty here, where he gets mentions of Caesar and Brutus, Othello and Iago. Jesus and Judas, like he has all these great little literary quips that he throws in throughout. And then on top of that, just to be the cherry on top of a song, in the middle of a song, you have a monologue that is like right out of like Thornton Wilder, Our Town. And then you find out that it's a pointless monologue. It's not even his life. But it shows how much Leo has affected him. Where he now, where where he says Leo's taken everything, like he's taken my life, like he's become so intertwined with me that I can't get away from him. And it's that great moment of of, of his this realization of what this man has done. It's 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 uh, it's just so smart, and I'm so glad that Nathan Lane chose uh, uh, didn't go with the first choice which is a much more sentimental song and Nathan Lane was like no we need to go big at this moment or go home we're not we're not doing this also because I'm shocked by that moment Max really falls out of the narrative really because yeah Leo is the one who starts dating Ula they go to yes. Brazil they do all sorts of wonderful things that they then yeah. tell us about yeah. Max does absolutely nothing mm-hmm until it's he true. goes to jail in Act Two. Yes, and, 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 and it makes yeah. up for it. And on top of that, it's the eleven o'clock number and soliloquy song, which kind of makes ultimately the producers more about Max than about Leo, in my opinion. This, like, this is kind of the turning point uh, for for the show, where it proves that really this is Max's story, and Leo is a major supporting character for this. Uh, Autumn, what is your number one song? 
I want to be a producer. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer, lunch at Sardi's every day. I want to be a producer, sport a top hat and a cane. I want to be a producer and drive those chorus girls insane. It's Broderick. If it were anyone else, I'm, well, no, Michael Terrio played this role and I would have loved to have seen him do it. Because mm-hmm. I, they, they, they're both great. Um, I just, I like, I like the, especially, I mean, I've only seen, um, revisited the movie version, but mm-hmm. the, the, the accounting firm and how that transitions. Yes. It's magical. And it is. It's it's him. It's this moment of revelation mm-hmm. where we become endeared to his mania rather than just annoyed by it. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like they, we, yeah. Uh, he hates them. Yes, the blue blanket moment that we've lived through. I mean, is, it's, he has Linus syndrome. Yeah, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Um, and that's sweet, but this is a moment where he actually just breaks out and he says. No, this was my dream. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, stop the road. I want to get on. And he's not apologetic about it. He just says, you yeah. know what? Screw you. Out of here. I like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I, I love Matthew Broderick. I've loved yes. him my whole life. So I want to be a producer is good. It's safe. I do enjoy it. It's, it's a great, it, it puts also, it's that nice, kickoff production number uh, of the show because up to then we haven't had one yet and you kind of want to start setting this big over-the-top world that's going to ultimately be filled with tap dancing Nazis but you want to get the audience going okay this is where we're we're driving to big show and it has it's a big show numbers yeah it's not it's not an intimate there's nothing intimate about this show no No. even at the 11 o'clock number that is eight Eight minutes and sung by one person is not intimate. Right? Yeah, that's true. <coughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. want to be a producer. Fair enough, Arcadi. Your number two, you were you were saying was keep it gay. No matter what you do on the stage, keep it light, keep it bright, keep it gay. Whether it's murder, mayhem, or rage, don't complain, it's a pain, keep it gay. People want laughter when they see a show. The last thing they're after's a litany of woe. A happy ending will pep up your play. Oedipus won't bomb if he winds up with mom. Keep it gay. Keep it gay. Keep it gay. Well, it's, I won't call it number two, but it is a top three. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, keep it gay because, you know, because it's so sort of sarcastic. Well, it's like very sweetly sarcastic because I'm just saying, you know, some people might actually believe that this is the success to the Broadway show if they have no sense of humor, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm sitting there thinking, this is ridiculous, mm-hmm. but how many people actually do not find it ridiculous? Yeah. 
And I like it because of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there are people in some community theater in Thunder Bay who are probably wearing a dress just to think that it's going to add to their talent or whatever, you know? <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And it's also because everyone wants to be... This is a number that reminds us how we want to be noticed. Yes. How it's all about attention. Yes. And there is, in our profession, our, our peers, our colleagues, can never get too much of it. There's no such thing as enough attention. You'll do, you know, you'll do, you'll do anything. You'll do anything. You know? So much so that even the tech people who are not to be, who are never to be seen or celebrated visibly are suddenly visible. Yes, yes that is true. Whether it's Kevin... Uh, Kevin, the costume designer, Brian, the set God designer, or Shutter, Markovich, whatever. Markovich, who is by far my favorite. You know, I know you had her. You know, I know you had her on the on the thingy, but I think I offered Lynn Slotkin, who is a great friend of mine now, uh, Shirley Markovich, and our producer. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think she knew that this was going there, so she said no. Right, she's the only person who said no. She said, because she knew what kind of parts she's going to end up with. She's not stupid. <laughs> That's so good. And that, and that number, like, once again, people who take the show at a surface level just think it's making light and, and, and fun with, like, because it's being sung by a gay man that, oh, gay is gay. Like, like uh, but yet what they're meaning is happy. But we've and lost. it's not about either gay or happy. It's about yeah. the fact is I'll do anything to be to be seen, to be applauded, to get yeah. attention. He'll to get anything. the Tony Award. To get a Tony Award. So, you know. Yeah. And he's suddenly like the central leading man or leading lady, depending. Uh, yes. You know, and, and it's a giant number where, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's true. I mean, think about it. He, where, what's the line he gives? So they go, Tony, 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 Tony. And then he says, I see it at last, the chance to do something important. And then Carmen Diaz says, Roger Debris. Uh, presents history and it's yeah. yeah you're absolutely right it's that moment of roger realizing i can be noticed and important because up to then he's kind of being thought of as, as this person who does uh really over the top uh musicals that are kind of pointless that he hasn't been taken seriously but yet he has this moment of i could actually do something that will garner me the respect and and, and um adoration that i want so very true wow that is it's kind of like that Kate Winslet moment in Extras. Have you ever seen mm. Extras by Ricky Gervais? I saw it. It's, well, it's very similar. In yes, it is. The way that she comes on and she's, mm-hmm. she's portraying a nun in Nazi Germany. And she goes, the only one <laughs> ever win an Oscar is to star in a Nazi film. And, and she did. And she did. She won the Oscar like a year for, later. For the, yeah, for the reader. For the reader. Yeah. And I wonder if she was like, <laughs> like <laughs> I prove my point. That's very funny. Pretty yes, funny. very true. Yeah. Okay, so my number two is what else could it be but springtime for Hitler?
11 minute Shakespearean number where just like at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream where you have the room mechanicals doing a version of Pyramus and Thisbe, Mel Brooks has created a show within a show where it has a proper middle or beginning, middle, and end where you have the opening with the uh, Bavarian German people searching. You then have the springtime for Hitler with the, with, uh, with the um, Austrian Nazi singing, and then you have How Myself and the tap dance that are in the middle section, and then you have uh, Hitler doing uh, Judy Garland at the palace at the end, where he has the best line of the entire musical, which is, uh, it ain't no mystery if it's politics or history. The thing you gotta know is everything is showbiz, which is a line, the minute I heard it, I went, holy cow, that is bigger than anything else in the show that is so true. And we see that now with Trump, where where he's where he's turned politics, where he's highlighted the fact that politics is just another version of show business. That's all it is. And that's exactly what this song is. And people like people who get angry at this show and go, how can you cheer and applaud tap dancing Nazis? Like my mother, who just doesn't get this at all. She does not like the fact that they're making a comedy musical about Hitler. But I'm like, it was written by a Jewish man. And this is his whole thing that he's been doing since he started in show business. Because the producer was his first film he ever directed and wrote. But, and he's done it in almost every film where he's making fun of Hitler in some way. It's him taking back that power and proving the best way to get rid of, like, again, type of stigma or or clout that these evil dictator people have in the world is by making fun of them and bring and making laughing at them. That's why Chaplin did it with the Greek dictator. That's why that film, the interview about King Jong Un, caused such a ripping way through was because they're making fun of these well, big, big overpowering evil dictator figures and it totally brings them down it pops the bubble it and proves they're fallible the, look at jojo rabbit that is a great yes. temporary, uh analogy like a, a absolutely right? yes uh, it's yes. interesting i he takes the piss right and mm-hmm. you bring up donald trump which is interesting because how many people think that this is just good theater and that's a mm. good conversation like it it's it's so popular um and appeals to so many people but how many people actually get that he's taking the piss out of the audience for even being there like i think yes. i think um i think it is yeah i think there's something in that yeah, that is very true. Or Caddy, why don't you give us your thoughts? Springtime again. This is certainly in the top three. Um, yeah. Just, um, I mean, again, because mm-hmm. it, it's a it, it's a production number that 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 and that ended all the production numbers. You know. Yeah. It it it. it uh, um, I mean, we can talk about produces as a musical, like what it did to the musical uh, art form. But that mm-hmm. number, like no other number in the history of musical theater, that tells you how ridiculous musical numbers are. Yeah. To the point that if you can have, if you can sell, uh, I never never understood big dance shows unless mm-hmm. it's driven, unless, it, unless it's like a Billy Elliot or something, you know, yeah. which is so central to the narrative. But out of nowhere for no reason, jump all those, 
uh, you know, people who are old yeah. women in the first act, then they are Nazi uh, marchers in the second. I, yes. I, I, I like the fact that it's, it's the number that acknowledges how ridiculous uh, uh, musical, musical numbers are. And therefore, if, if it's a ridiculous premise that there is a springtime for Hitler and it's done in a ridiculous kind of thing, it kind of makes sense to me. It's the very, yeah. very logical, very logical and thought through and just a little jewel of a, of, of, yeah. of a thing. It's sort of like yeah. Sondheim, you know, not to compare yes. anything here, but he takes absurdist things, mm-hmm. absurdist stories, uses them in an absurd art form, which is musical theater. It's an absurd art form. People, as I always say, you know, people don't sing to each other when they fall in or out of love. They go to court and they separate yeah. their apartments. They don't sing songs, yeah. you know? Um, and so here it, it, it takes this absurdity and makes it look intentional mm-hmm. and acknowledges it for the first time. Yeah. And it even acknowledges the absurdity of it even before Animin Hairspray came a little later or You're in Town or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you're in town did not fully acknowledge, for example, how ridiculous the musical theater form is. Mm-hmm. Producers have. Yeah. Very true. I'll yeah. yeah. Perfect. Okay. And then I will say, I just want to give another shout out to Susan Stroman in this moment because she staged the perfect amount of ridiculousness for this number where she took it to such a level where the audience knew they could laugh at the situation. Yeah. Where if she had taken it too seriously, it totally wouldn't have worked, which is why when you watch, especially in the film, where you watch the audience getting up and leaving, because the first part of the show is taking it very seriously. It's when Roger comes on that the, the, the tone changes and it becomes a comedy. The first part, where it's the Aryan Nazi singer singing. It's springtime for Hitler and Germany. Deutschland is happy and decaying. We're marching to a faster pace. Look out, here comes the master race. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Rhineland's are It's very serious. Like, like he's very sincere in that moment. Yeah, it's it's kind and, of like tomorrow belongs to me from Cabaret. Yes, it is. There's, Absolutely. You know, there's a parallel to that. Yes. Uh, yeah. In a way, he's taking the piss out of Kander and Ebb in that moment, going He totally is. Have, he totally and, and Rogers and Hammerstein, you singing Nazis. I'll give you a singing yes. Nazis. Bingo. And that's exactly it. And then yeah, and then once Roger comes on, it it Stroman just took that change and just amplified it, where to the point now she has puppet Nazis between real actors turning into a giant moving swastik with a giant mirror descending from the roof, and as well as paratroopers dropping from the and tanks coming out on stage. Right, she just took it to such a ridiculous it's so level. Extreme. Like it's ex- it's extreme, but I think I think this is the reason why I'm not fully behind it. Mm-hmm. It's because I feel like the whole thing is taking the piss. 
I don't buy them as protagonists or antagonists. I think they're just sometimes bit of like the alley stock is a bit of a dick. He's a stealer <laughs> of money. And like, it's like, it's a, the whole thing is a swindle on top of mm-hmm. a swindle on top of a swindle. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, for the smart people in the audience, you go, I'm being swindled. Yeah. That doesn't negate the fact that I can't laugh at it though. Cause I do yeah. laugh at it. And yeah. I, you know, there, there are things where I'm like, how did you ever get away with that? Well, well, Gary Beach most certainly was a showman who could sell an audience on basically anything. And him playing Hitler, I think that's what made that performance that is- so good. And why he won the Tony. But yeah, okay, perfect. So my third choice, because Arcadia, your third choice was Springtime. My third choice is Till Him. Me which too. Is- my empty life. Ever be another one like him. Perfect. Okay. Great. Look at that. We're matching up. I love it. This is the most sincere moment of the entire show. It's 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 a love ballad, but it's a love ballad of friendship hmm. between two men who once again, Andy and Red from Shawshank, it's that same moment where at the end you see them on the beach together and, and it's them coming together. It's that moment where, where where you just know these two can't be separated from each other. It's beautiful and the score is very traditional. Uh, love ballad score where it's that soaring string and, and horns and brass section but then of course Mel Brooks throws in his little kink and hijinks in there with, with the little old ladies being the music background but Max does away with it he, 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 he does away with them and finishes the song in a very sincere place and you it's dependent on the two actors playing Max and Leo to sell this moment of the show and nathan lane and matthew broderick really sell this friendship they have on stage and it's gorgeous it's 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 a song that is so wonderful autumn why is it your third pick of the day i think for the those exact reasons i think it is a moment there's still shtick involved but we actually go oh okay Mm -hmm. They actually mean something. Oh, this yeah. isn't for naught. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this hasn't just been like, ha 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 ha. We yeah. actually get to see some honesty mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for the first time in the whole show, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's me. I'm a sucker for that, right? Like I, yeah. that's what I prefer to see, and it's the mm-hmm. moment where I go, oh, okay. Well, I didn't just lose $480. I, I came, <laughs> there was actually some kind of love on stage. Yeah. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't just for the money, for the swindle, mm-hmm. for the, for the validation. There was mm-hmm. actually love. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. 
we see here. So that's, that's why I like it. Yes. Fair yeah. enough. Arcady, any thoughts on Till Him as a song? Fine. I, I mean, I would go with the majority on that. I don't mm -hmm. think I would have picked it on my own. Because, um, mm -hmm. uh, frankly, uh, that number is not a surprise. You know, it is right. surprising the plot, but the fact that they love each other and inse mm -hmm. are inseparable, you already kind of know that because he feels betrayed. Yes. Three minutes ago. So you already know that. So why do they need to sing yeah. love with each other? There, there, there's already that chemistry happening, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think that number is really there just to make sure people uh, are not paying attention, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's a sledgehammer moment where it's like, make sure you understand this moment. Make sure if you missed it six times before. Yes, you're going to get it now. They I really love each other. I think it's a redemption moment. Uh, you know, Max has just sung this whole thing where he's felt betrayed. And then Leon mm -hmm. comes back and says, no, you're my guy, right? It's a yeah, moment. It's true. And then that, I mean, I don't think anyone is surprised at the ending you know, mm -hmm. of, of like this happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a moment of real connection. Like- I agree. The problem is, is betrayed is such a big number that yeah. you need a big redemption to, you have like, it's a, you know, betrayed as an ostrich, you know, whereas you need that to counteract if that's in fact, mm -hmm. going to come back. The, the moment has to be not just, hi, I love you. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. That's true. That's exactly Max what they were. Just that, they were hoping for that for sure. I totally agree yeah. with you, but I don't think it's actually mm -hmm. successful to the extent that it could have been. That's true. Max does forgive Leo really quickly. I think Leo is sincere in it, but I think Max knows that there's something to gain. Of course, right? From selling his his yeah. argument to the judge. Well, that, and, you know, if he gets out, if this works, how can he benefit from what Leo now has? Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's something to that. I think, you know, bringing in the grannies is, you know, I think he's a swindler. <laughs> he's a swindler. But he's a lovable swindler. Vinsky of producers. <laughs> he's a lovable swindler, though. I would love to play Max Bialystok. That is one of my... Another dream roles that and Enoch Snow. There you go, Enoch Snow. We got a list now, Autumn. You're gonna have to like seriously step up some directing here to like get to get these all made. Sure, sure. Our caddy will program them, Autumn will direct them, and I'll star in them. It's, it's sure. a true producer's moment. I'll uh, I'll do the producers first. How about that? Excellent, I love it. It'll be a very okay. different version. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a very sincere version. It'll be very dark. dark. Oh God. Oh God. Too funny. Um. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So then we have our top three songs. We either skip, cut, or or just don't like at all. So Arcadi, what is first on your list? Uh, well, I don't know what's first or whatever, uh, but I can I, I can certainly talk about. Uh, yeah, what you want? Do you want to talk uh, about first? Then? Uh, you know the the what is it number called? Opening night with that? Uh, not opening night. Um, you never say good luck on opening night. That's the one. What do I say? I beg. What you say is break a leg. Break a leg. Yes, break a leg. 
Yeah, that made my list too. You know, that number makes absolutely, it, it's neither satirical, it's completely out of sync tonally mm -hmm. with, the, with the rest. It means, mm -hmm. I think it's just a typical, you needed a, 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 a curtain, uh, like a... a, a yeah, change, that well, that, well, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what that number was in there. Okay, but you could be a little bit less, you could be more, more inconspicuous about it so that the yeah, situation can change, you yeah. know. Uh, you know, I think where Marilla really is going is more successful in that regard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, who well, only me... knew where Marilla was going? But that's besides the point. <laughs> I yeah, never I mean, found like, out. Yeah, I mean, like for me, I mean, yes, it's funny to watch on stage where you have Max doing all these things, like fling the cat backstage, which is like right out of the Cats movie now for me. The idea of swinging the cat and yeah. watching him into that. Into that stage, um, and then you also have him like breaking the mirror and putting the ladder in front of the door. But yes, you're right. Like the song, even in the book, we talk about how this song was just made uh, to um, be there as a placeholder spot while they while they basically got the set swapped and got ready for uh, springtime because all the actors in the ensemble needed time to change into their costumes from the uh, Hitler auditions into the uh, springtime for Hitler moment. So that's basically what it was. And I mean, yes, it's fun, but you're right. I totally could go and I, it wouldn't affect anything. Autumn, are you, are you in agreement with us about this number? Agreement. It's a buying time. That, yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. My number one is, uh, in old Bavaria. Oh, some meadows, and some mountains, and the sky. Not to mention hordes of brown shirts passing by. Bring a tear to every single Nazi eye. In old, I'm talking old, Bavaria. which is the number that introduces Franz to the uh, world of the musical. But at the same time, uh, you, the minute you see him in his costume talking to the pigeons and you have that exchange leading up to the Guten Tag Hochklub, uh, you know who he is. You don't need another song explaining how he misses the hordes of brown shirts passing by, bringing a tear to every single Nazi eye. Like, you already know who he is right away. And I mean, yes, it's great to give Franz another number, but overall, it's not really needed. I they cut it from the movie and it worked. I could not agree with you more because also that's the only number that is shameless exposition. Uh, yes. You know, nobody else gets to talk about, hi, I'm Max Bell, I'm a power spirit. I mean, he does, I, I guess he does King of Broadway, you know, yeah. at the beginning of the show, but mm -hmm. it's not... He's talking, he's not talking about who he is. He's talking about what happened to him. That's a different story, yes. you know? Yes. Hi, I did this, I did this, and I did this, mm -hmm. and then he's, da, yeah. da, da. so he does, because I think, you know, if, if France, all he did was happen to get hurt at, at the, at the second, and suddenly yeah. he's a singer for the first time, that would have been funny. And I think yeah. he deserves, I wouldn't say that he doesn't deserve a single number, but if he deserved one, that that should be it. 
Yeah. Uh, and I also think he's a blatantly dramatic device in that show. He doesn't have... Yeah. I don't think he's going to get great depth as a character. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like, any other part, Max, well, obviously Max and Leo, but also Ula, also Roger, you can go, you can walk away with the show. You can become a star. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you can become a star playing France. No. Well, that's why the, Gary Beach playing Roger won the Tony while... Roger Bartos Carbondia and Brad Oscar as Franz Liebkin did not win the Tony. Autumn, are you? Do, oh, did Old Bavaria make your list? I I'm I don't really have a list. I'll be honest. I'm kind of the rest of it is kind of apathy for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I like I agree with you. There's mm -hmm. not. It's not. I mean, the three that I've mentioned are ones that I would go back to possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. but the rest of it, I'm like, uh, uh. I can't wait till we go on a car ride together and we will sing Springtime for Hitler together in the car. That's fine. We're it's gonna have fun. Funny. It's like yeah. so stupid. It's funny. Like, you know, yeah. it's mm -hmm. stupid humor, which yeah. is great. And I think, um, I just think Brooks is hysterical in, in the mm -hmm. way that he. Takes the best stuff. People watching it, his work. Yes. Like, and I, th I think we have to be discerning when we're watching it. And go. Mm -hmm. He's taking the piss out of me. This is this is very much like South Park. It's you know like it's that Avenue Q. No one is safe. No one yeah. is safe, and you're either going to take that for what it is, or you're not. Mm -hmm. Or you're not going Fair to. Enough. Which is terrifying. If you don't get it, and that's that's kind of my worry with the show is how many people actually get it? Mm -hmm. How many people walk away think, taking Hopefully it? Hopefully, all those people with four hundred and eighty dollars in their pocket got it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I have one more song, and it is that face. I must be smart and hide my heart if she's within a mile. If I don't duck, I'm out of luck. She'd kill me with her smile. That face, that face, that fabulous face. It's clear I must beware. I'm certain if I fall in love, I'm lost without a trace. But it's worth it for that face. And for me, I, I mean, it's great to watch the dance, but when you're just listening to it, it's a dance song. So I'll skip it because I'm like, I don't need to hear orchestrations right now. Like, I find Max a much more compelling character than Leo overall. Uh, so for me, I just kind of go, okay, all right, it's a Leo song. You have you have to do the song to set up him and Ula getting together for later on. But overall, it's like, eh. Oh, it, it's a very generic, nice love song. I wonder why you don't like Leo. That's so interesting. Is it? I don't know. Because he's a nice, safe guy. No, I, I just don't find his. I just don't find his humor as funny as Max. And I, and in in a, in a comedy, I, I I want funny. And I, Leo's 
humor just isn't as funny. Yeah, but you need a straight man. Like you need somebody to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, of course you absolutely do. I, I like Leo is still a great character, but if I had my choice of Mac play Leo or play Max, I'm gonna go for Max in a heartbeat. Some people may want to go for Leo, but I would much rather go for for Max Bialystok, performance wise. But yeah, that face, it's a dance number. So, I mean, it's great to watch the dance. Like Uma Thurman and Matthew Broderick do a great dance on, in the film on that pure white set. It's very um, Gene Kelly, like um, classic 1950s dance, Fred Astaire kind of number. It's wonderful, but listening to it, it's like, eh, okay. It, it doesn't have that same punch as you were if you were watching it. So, yeah. Arcadia, is there any other song that doesn't make your list or, or makes your list of kind of skip or, or you don't think are necessary? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So now we're into the part where it is, should the show be revived? Does it still have a place today? Autumn, I want you to lead this one. I mean. Because I got a feeling our caddy are going to be very similar in our responses. You'll be surprised. I'm, oh, boy. I don't know. I mean... There's always a place for humor and there's always a place for satire and parody. I, yes, sure. Um, I, uh, I think you have to carefully examine whether or not anyone could actually do it outside of the combination of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and make mm, it tellable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't see this working in like community. I'm sure community theaters have done it. I can, mm-hmm. cannot. I I don't know. I think it needs massive. I I think it's a star vehicle, and I think it needs those two people. And it's uh, you need big names to pull. A comedy is way harder than anything else on the planet. Comedy it is, is like brain surgery. It, you have to be so exact and you have to be so invested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like, and the combination of Broderick and Lane are what made it comedic genius, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I don't know. I think, it, sure, why not? It's fun. It's funny. Is it my, would, if I had a choice between Produce, I don't know another com- yeah another comedy in this hairspray for example mm-hmm. I'd go see hairspray fair enough but if someone bought me a ticket and took me to it and we could have a good laugh yeah sure I'd go I'd go yeah do I think mm-hmm. it's the most important piece of theater in um the American canon or no no <laughs> and I don't think it was supposed to be if you look at the other award like the other musicals that were up that year for tony's of course it won like yeah. i mean you had you're in town no uh not. What, or, no we didn't have you're in town you had jane Eyre. you had uh full monty class, yeah, I, I know full monty, monty was in there. class act that's it oh, okay so of course it was gonna win like yeah. Duh. For sure. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Or Caddy, what do you think? Is this a show that needs that has still has a place and should be revived? 
Well, you know, the question is, is if when you talk about anything, should Fiddler on the Roof be revived? It's for what purpose and who, who is it for in terms of the artist? So if you came to me and said, I will not die or I will die if I don't do this stuff or whatever, you look at it, do I have people who, for whom it would be the right challenge? And mm-hmm. in those term, on those terms, I would consider anything, uh, including yeah. things I wouldn't necessarily touch myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it, uh, and I, and I want to echo what Autumn said earlier, and that is uh, this musical and Drowsy Chaperone is not something that you sing in auditions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very rare beast in that the book and the premise and the book, the libretto, drives the music so totally. It, it's very rare. Usually it's the music. You know, Bad Book kills the show, mm-hmm. good score makes it. And sometimes both are happening. Well, uh, what's interesting about, you know, Hairspray, for example, again, I think Producers is by far more sophisticated a book musical than people are giving it a credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it as wholesome a show as even a Drowsy Chaperone? I don't think so. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think it stands... Uh, let's not forget, it came out in 2001, you know, and I, always, and I also wonder right now, are we going to look at Hamilton 15 years from now and actually say, what were they doing at that time that that became such a, such a talked-about show that people mm-hmm. paid thousand dollars? Some of those shows are, you know, same with Chorus Line, same with... I mean, Fiddler on the Roof will always be a gigantic musical regardless of who touches it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. I think what happened with producers, it is certainly not a flop musical by any means. Is did it reinvent musical theater? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think what what happened, the reason why it was so celebrated, is 1990s has been generally a dismal time in the history of musical theater, where we were applauding potential and 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 uh, I want to see the next musical of such and such. Then a number of successful shows and. Even those shows that were successful were, I mean, one devastation after the other. It's almost, it's almost, uh, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even like gypsy devastation where I would pay anything to be devastated through that marvelous show, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, There were sort of second rate devastations. And Mm -hmm. so comes producers, and then 9 11 happens on top of those, on -hmm. top of those things. And it was it was a lifeline. It was not mm-hmm. just one. It was like three lifelines, mm-hmm. and frankly, it deserved to be. But you know, is it going to be? Uh, is it the most sophisticated? Is it? Is it any of the Sondheim shows in terms of its craft, in terms of how things are are uh, created? No, uh, mm-hmm. but I still admire Sutpa. So. If I was asked to do it with the right people, happy to do that. Do will I die if I don't? No. Mm-hmm. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I mean, I think yes. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is deserving of a revival. Because for me, you I want just to don't... revive everything. Not everything. There are a few shows that I've never on the podcast. Never become a theater investor. Never invest your money in Broadway revivals. <laughs> well, I'll never invest my in money house. in a show. I'll never invest my money in a show because that's Max Bialystok says. Never you know put your what? own money in a show. That's the only complete bullshit. Because 
I mean, I guess he's talking about the commercial thing. Don't invest yes. money in your show. Mm-hmm. In a non-for-profit world, I don't yeah. think you're allowed to even represent a non-for-profit theater unless you put up something for it. Because how, why would you go and ask others to do the same? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting the entire house or mm-hmm. your car or yeah. whatever. But absolutely, you have to get a shovel and go yes. your financial. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I do think I, I do think it is more it does warrant a revival. You, Autumn, you are right. It will be dependent on who they get to lead the show. Uh, however, I think coming out of COVID, I think this will be a great show that could definitely put give a Let's lifeline back to people. COVID like one size fits fits all pantyhose, you know? Yes. So why not Hairspray after COVID? Why not? Well, I mean, Hairspray is coming. They were about to revive it in the West End right when COVID happened with um, Michael Ball being Edna again. They were about to do previews when COVID happened. So they postponed it to 2021. Is I have a great Edna in mind when I actually get to it, but we won't go there. I can't wait. Mm. I can't wait for that. I love that. Uh, oh, I love it. Same here. Uh, but I do think on that note, I do think we are have said our thoughts uh overall thank you everybody for listening we can't wait to hear what you think about this tap dancing nazi musical arcadi where can they find you if our audiences wanted to and check that's the chorus and the producers generally speaking fantastic but they can but we'll talk is free uh the, you've been doing these great uh community talks so uh, so if people wanted to check in on those would they be able to yeah, we don't know. We, we we think that we'll go with those past the pandemic, but I think we're mm-hmm. also thinking of maybe taking a week of pauses because we've been doing it for like two months almost. Yeah, um, that's true. And and I kind of want to go to other adventures. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but it is available on the website that people Fantastic. can either uh, view uh, any one of our artists previous thoughts mm-hmm. and or sign up for any upcoming ones yeah it's all through fantastic that's great that's so wonderful you're doing that every day i mean to watching them they're wonderful yeah um yeah fantastic uh overall uh thank you again everybody shout out to mr brody weld our theme music composer uh be sure to check out his latest track home decor which is his rap all about household furniture and fatherhood uh so check that out on apple music spotify all other music platforms uh you can check us out at uh before the downbeat on instagram twitter facebook and you definitely check out our patreon page there's lots of goodies on there movie musical commentaries top 10 lists theater news reviews and we have and we're working on some other fun tiers that will be announced later on this season as well uh other than that check all those out uh autumn where can they find you Autumn DM Smith, Facebook, Instagram, or my business name, Littlewood Smith. Fantastic. Wonderful. You can find me. Yeah, they can find me at uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Mackenzie Horner. Just look for the ginger guy. And you can find me uh, doing an episode with our caddy, uh, doing artist conversations on May 20th, which will be long past by the time this comes out. But you but can they can go to the website and do the YouTube link retroactively. Exactly. You can definitely post, check it, check out our conversation we'll be having. Because I'm sure it'll be one you will Because you and I, Mackenzie, are like red Georgian wine. You know, we need like two years after the conversation has happened to mature. So we're definitely going to find an episode for you to come back in on because this has been an absolute hoot and a holler. 
And on that note, everybody, thank you. Talk to you, you soon. Both. Enjoy. Thank Have you. a great day. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And go and just go watch those tap dancing Nazis. Bring time for Hitler in Germany. But I'm bummed. The end. The end. Get out. <laughs>